Section 17 of the Romance of Polar Exploration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The Romance of Polar Exploration by G. Firth Scott. Chapter 14. Voyages of the Erebus and Terror. The American and French expeditions having already selected areas for their operations, sir james ross not wishing to clash with them in any way directed his attention to that part of the antarctic lying to the south of australia and new zealand as his sphere of operations fortune favoured him in that selection for it is at this part of the antarctic region situated between the meridians of one hundred and sixty degrees east and one hundred and sixty degrees western longitude that open water extends farthest into the high latitudes he chose the meridian of one hundred and seventy degrees east as the line on which to sail to the south it was on this meridian that balleny in eighteen thirty nine had found open water as high as sixty nine degrees south the erebus and terror were equally fortunate and they were well to the south before they encountered sufficient ice to prove difficult for navigation mostly they encountered icebergs and they were thus afforded excellent opportunities to note the peculiarities of the southern bergs and to compare them with those of the arctic there was a manifest difference in both form and structure those of the antarctic showed little variety in shape and in this they were in marked contrast to the arctic bergs the bergs of the south were very solid in appearance with perpendicular grooves on the sides and level table-top summits in size they ranged from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and eighty feet in height with a length varying from a few hundred yards to a couple of miles land was first sighted on the eleventh of january eighteen forty one when the ships were in latitude seventy degrees twenty three minutes south and longitude one hundred and seventy four degrees fifty minutes east the appearance of the land suggested the tops of mountain peaks fully a hundred miles away as the ships sailed on other peaks showed above the horizon both to the east and the west and the majesty of their size left no room for doubt that they were part of an area of land attaining to continental proportions in his account of the expedition sir james ross wrote it was a beautifully clear evening and we had a most enchanting view of the two magnificent ranges of mountains whose lofty peaks perfectly covered with eternal snow rose to elevations varying from seven thousand to ten thousand feet above the level of the ocean the glaciers that filled their intervening valleys and which descended from near the mountain summits projected in many places several miles into the sea and terminated in lofty perpendicular cliffs in a few places the rock broke through the icy covering by which alone we could be assured that land formed the nucleus of this to appearance enormous iceberg the range was named admiralty mountains and the various peaks after the different lords of the admiralty with patriotic pride the leader recorded that the discovery of this land restored to great britain the honour of having discovered the southernmost known land which had been so nobly won by the intrepid bellinghausen and for more than twenty years retained by russia the amount of ice along and off the shore prevented a landing being made but it was found to be possible to get ashore on an island not far away from the mainland 
the island was named possession island in commemoration of the fact that on its shores the ceremony of taking possession of the newly discovered land in the name of great britain was duly celebrated situated in latitude seventy one degrees fifty six minutes south and longitude one hundred and seventy one degrees seven minutes east the island was found to be of igneous formation and accessible only on its western shore there were no signs of vegetation on the bare volcanic rock but myriads of penguins completely and densely covered the whole surface of the island along the ledges of the precipices and even to the summits of the hills attacking us vigorously as we waded through their ranks and pecking at us with their sharp beaks disputing possession which with their loud coarse notes and the insuperable stench from the deep bed of guano which had been forming for ages and which may at some time be valuable to the agriculturists of our australian colonies made us glad to get away again after having loaded our boats with geological specimens and penguins as the voyage continued the height of the mountains lying further to the south of admiralty mountains was observed to be from twelve thousand to fourteen thousand feet the majority being obviously of volcanic origin while noting these characteristics a phenomenon was witnessed which for the moment suggested that they were in the presence of a mighty volcanic upheaval an angle was being measured when in the line of sight an island about one hundred feet high suddenly seemed to rise from the ocean all eyes were turned upon it the dark color of the new arrival standing out in such pronounced contrast with the whiteness of the ice around it then one more observant than the rest drew attention to the fact that a large berg previously observed at the place where the island had risen had completely disappeared at once the riddle was solved the berg had turned over and as the lower portion was composed of earth-stained ice it stood out in such a strong relief against the other ice that the mistake was easily accounted for one of the mountains slowly coming into view on the horizon as the ships continued their way was so remarkably like mount etna in appearance that it was so named by the members of the expedition but official requirements of the case necessitated another name being given to it it was entered in the record as mount melbourne while another lying beyond it was named mount monteagle these were the highest mountains seen up to that time and presented an imposing appearance yet others were sighted in the course of a few days which quite eclipsed them these were the two volcanoes which were named after the two vessels mount erebus and mount terror mount erebus twelve thousand four hundred feet high was in active eruption when first seen and has been so on every occasion that man has looked upon it since at the time of its discovery it was giving a display that was extraordinarily grand the more so by reason of its surroundings it was snow-clad to within a few hundred feet of its conical summit while its huge base rested on a wide stretch of ice gleaming and shimmering in the sunlight between the ice wall hundreds of feet high which marked the coastline and the vessels the water was blue and clear reflecting the hue of the sky above from the crater alternate bursts of smoke and flame were flung up the rumbling sound of the explosions floating down through the frozen stillness in a faint echo like that of a heavy distant artillery fire in the official account it is described as follows 
a volume of dense smog was projected at each successive jet with great force in a vertical column to a height of between fifteen hundred and two thousand feet above the mouth of the crater when condescending at its upper part it descended in mist or snow to be succeeded by another splendid exhibition of the same kind in about half an hour afterwards although the intervals between the eruptions were by no means regular the diameter of the column of smoke was between two hundred and three hundred feet as near as we could measure it whenever the smoke cleared away the bright red flames that filled the mouth of the crater were clearly perceptible and some of the officers believed they could see streams of lava pouring down its side until lost beneath the snow which descended from a few hundred feet below the crater and projected its perpendicular icy cliffs several miles into the ocean so far as the leader of the expedition was concerned there was another circumstance in connection with the position in which the ships were that appealed to him very particularly he had a few years earlier succeeded in locating the north magnetic pole bearings taken in the neighbourhood of the two volcanoes revealed the fact that the south magnetic pole was only about one hundred and seventy miles distant an effort was made to penetrate to the south so as to sail over or otherwise locate the exact position of the magnetic pole but the weather conditions which had been so favourable to them up to that point now told severely against them the thermometer fell rapidly and the temperature went so low that the spray flung up by the ships froze as it fell into solid ice on the bows men were kept constantly breaking it away but still it accumulated considerably interfering with the speed of the ships then they found in front of them a great wall of ice rising out of the sea without a break or opening to a height of some hundreds of feet they sailed along it for miles but the only change was that it increased in height until it towered a thousand feet above the level of the ocean although it was then midsummer and the warmest part of the year the highest temperature during the day was never above twenty degrees below freezing at the corresponding period of the season in the arctic every iceberg gives evidence of the warmer weather by commencing to melt so that from all of them streams of water are to be seen pouring down the sides but the bergs in the antarctic showed no such streams of water all were solid and the heat of the sun at midday was not able to cause even the surface to thaw during a gale encountered in this locality the waves as they broke over the sides covered the rigging and sails with hard clear ice until it was almost impossible to handle the ropes or furl the sails as february went by and they were still unable to work nearer the site of the magnetic pole the leader sought for a haven where the ships could pass the winter so as to be ready to recommence the work directly the weather moderated with the approach of spring but no such place was to be found the mighty barrier of ice stretching away to the horizon with never a break in its massive towering front nothing was to be done except turn the vessels to the north and make the best of their way into milder latitudes until the winter had passed on the voyage towards the north one of those accidents occurred to the terror which fortunately for the welfare of the sailors are not possible nowadays the bobstay of the bowsprit was smashed by coming in contact with a mass of floating ice at the time the temperature was such that the bows of the vessel as well as the bowsprit and its rigging were all covered with ice which the men had to be continually trying to keep clear 
with the ship pitching to a heavy head sea this was by no means easy yet it was simple compared to the work of repairing the damaged bobstay the men carrying out the work had to be slung over the bows and every time the ship pitched they were plunged into the freezing water often being entirely immersed the temperature of the sea at that time was twelve degrees below freezing and two hours were occupied in effecting the repairs man after man going over the bows to take the places of those who were literally frozen out the commander with pardonable pride commended upon the pluck and hardy determination of his men in carrying out this arduous task as they sailed to their winter quarters in an easterly course they passed the locality where the ships of the american expedition had reported a discovery of land forming part of the great antarctic continent a sharp lookout was kept for it but no indications were seen and when the two ships sailed over the spot where the continent was supposed to exist the conclusion was forced upon the leaders that the americans had been misled as they had themselves on more than one occasion into regarding the combination of ice and cloud as land so suggestive of land did this combination often appear that it was only by the most careful and critical observation that similar mistakes were not to be recorded against the erebus and terror early in april they arrived in tasmania leaving that colony in the following july for new zealand where they stayed until december when they sailed once more to the antarctic it was the intention of ross to sail to the south along the one hundred and forty sixth meridian of west longitude but the existence of heavy pack ice proved an effectual obstacle to their progress the ships became involved in the pack and only managed to force their way clear by the beginning of february this meant a great loss of valuable time for they were only able to reach seventy six degrees forty two minutes southern latitude before they had to return they sighted the great barrier of ice lying to the south with what appeared to be high mountains snow-covered rising behind as no definite observation could be made to demonstrate whether the heights were mountains or only the summit of the antarctic ice-cap the discovery was not claimed as being new land the vessels made their way to the falkland islands where they passed the winter and on december the seventeenth eighteen forty two they sailed for the third time to the south the object of this voyage was to further explore louis philippe land and reach as high as weather had done excellent progress was made and on the last day of the year they sighted an island to which the name etna island was given as it was a volcano greatly resembling in miniature the great volcano of sicily further to the south high peaks appeared and with the new year a number of islands as well as what appeared to be portions of the mainland were discovered amongst others the expedition found and named paulette island cockburn island snow hill island and mount haddington places which were to be made still more familiar over half a century later by the dramatic events which occurred to the swedish expedition in nineteen o one to nineteen o three in addition to the discovery of land it was also found that the waters of this coast abounded with whales and by the time that the two ships returned to the cape of good hope in march they were able to claim for the record of the third trip the double discovery of land and of all the essentials for a profitable whaling industry the ships had circumnavigated the antarctic region and for many years thereafter whalers were the main visitors 
until eighteen ninety eight no official british expedition sailed for the atlantic though there was a brief stay just within the antarctic circle of h m s challenger in eighteen seventy four end of section seventeen